Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it is our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We meet every Thursday at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. For more info, go to wearesya.com. Dusty said, my name is Sean. I literally wrote that down in my notes. Uh, I've been going to church here since I was six years old. I started getting really involved when I got into high school at Shepherd Youth, and I was actually in Dusty's discipleship group. That's where I taught him everything that he knows about preaching and leading. Uh, After that, I got a job here when I turned 18, and I've been here ever since, 29 years old now. And it's kind of like a hostage situation at this point. I've been trying to get out, so if I blink twice, please rescue me, okay? Um, I really do uh, love this church. I mean, like, I've met my best friends here. Uh, One of my best friends was back there on that guitar. He's not an imaginary friend, the guy that was, like, actually standing right there. I met my wife here. And as many good things as I've experienced at this church, I really do believe that the best days of this church are in front of us. And much of that is because of the people in this room. Uh, I believe so much in, like, what we're becoming here as a church. And so I'm excited about this. A little bit about me, not that anybody should care. Uh, I talk about food a lot, but I'm not like a foodie. I just like food, okay? Like, every single night... I eat dessert. Right now, my dessert of choice is popcorn and uh, peanut butter M&Ms with gummy worms. When my sister gives me free cookies, I eat those. I will not pay a dollar for those. Um, I love Taco Bell, like Ruby said. Two chicken quesadillas, a bean and rice cheese burrito, and a large Dr. Pepper cheese and uh, chips. I get that. That's my order. Uh, I don't like a couple things. There's pretty much like three things I don't like when it comes to food. I hate grape jelly on PB&Js. That's disgusting. Um, I hate hard-boiled eggs, like literally. And I hate deviled eggs, but that's mostly because I'm a Christian. Um, uh, Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, Number two, um, I am married to the best girl around. She's sitting there in the back row because she's a heathen. And uh, number three, I love the Dodgers in UCLA, so if you're a USC fan, you can go to Freedom Church. Um, It's funny because my sister goes to Freedom Church, so. Uh, My first email address was actually uclabruinshawn at aol.com. You can still actually email me there, and it will forward to my real email address now. That's embarrassing. Um, I love uh, road biking and cycling. Yes, I wear the tight outfits. I apologize. I love hiking. I also love running. I love running a lot. I love that run rhymes with fun. Uh, And I am legitimately one of the freaks of nature that enjoy running for no specific reason. Like, and I apologize to people that know, you're you're a freak too, what's up? (laughs) Were you homeschooled as well? I was, I I really was, so I'm not making fun of homeschoolers, sorry James. Um, I have to apologize though to people that know me because like I talk about running a lot right now, like It's like constant, because I'm about to run the marathon in 44 days. I'm not counting, Um, but I run a lot. It's like the only thing I post on Instagram right now, so I like apologize to everybody about that as well. Um, And when Dusty called me and was like, yo, will you speak at SYA, he said the topic was running with integrity, and I was like, God, is that you? Because 
I like running. And I tried to come up with a bunch of excuses as to why I couldn't, but none of them, they all fell through. So here we are talking about running with integrity and Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. Now, I have a little bit of a story kind of similar to Joseph when it comes to, uh, comes to running away from a woman, actually. I hadn't been running in a few months and I decided, this was a few years back, I hadn't been running in a few months, and I decided to go out on a run. So I, I got to a local trail, I put the Just Do It shirt on, had the short shorts on, had Katy Perry roar in the headphones, and I'm like, I'm out for the jog, and I'm just getting started, and I don't know if you're competitive, but when I like go out for a run, like whoever else is out on the trail or the street, like it's a competition between me and them. Like it's silently, because I'm not mean, but like it's, you know, silently, I hate that person. So. I had started out in like, I used to run track, so I think in meters, it's really lame. I'm not European, but whatever. There's this lady, and she's like far behind me. I was going to say 200 meters, but it feels neat, weird because we're in America. Okay, whatever. Um, so she's far behind me, okay? But I can see her, so immediately I start trash talking her in my head. And she's like an old woman. She does not deserve my rebuke, but like I'm just giving it to her anyway. And so I'm like getting out on the trail, and like, like mind you, I, I've not been running in a while, so like... I'm not feeling great, so it's a little bit hot out. I'm afraid of getting heat stroke, whatever that means. I'm kind of panting for air. I'm thirsty and stuff, so I do something that I never do on this particular day. I take off my shirt. Now, I know Alex Acala is excited about the thought of that, but for the rest of you, you can imagine it's not a pretty sight, okay? I don't want to, like, fill in a bunch of stuff here, but, like, there's a lot of weird chest hair growing in different spots. There's flab and stuff, and, like, Newsflash, I'm white, and like, I'm like super white, so like, I'm sure the sun that day was like, oh, there's a new solar panel down there, and they're like, oh, that's just Sean. So I'm out here, and I'm like probably beat red in this moment, and I'm still running and stuff. The lady's like out of my sight. I'm like, let's go. And after a few minutes, I can notice the lady again, okay? And I'm like a little insecure, so I'm like trying to run faster, pick up the tempo and stuff to get away from her. When I realize that like, she's like, picking up the pace, and I'm like, this lady's old, you're trash, like, stay back, okay? So I'm picking up the pace, we're, we're getting like three quarters of the way there, we're close to the end, I've dusted her, it's over, I'm the champion, still standing there, when all of a sudden, this old woman comes around the corner, and she's not just like coming around the corner, she's screaming my name, like this woman knows my name, and she's like, Sean, Sean, and I'm like, oh Jesus, what have I just done? It was a volunteer from the church, okay? And I don't know why my initial instinct was to go like this. Like, I don't know what I was trying to cover, but there I was, similar to Joseph in this story that we're about to read where he's running from Potiphar's wife. The volunteers at our church are not Potiphar's wife, so let's just get that out of the way, okay? We're reading a story today about a man who ran with actual integrity, and we're not quite at the beginning of his story, but we're definitely not at the end of his story. We're just kind of in the middle of the story and I've got to be honest with you, I was kind of annoyed as I read this story this week because it's like the middle of any story is kind of like lame. Like it's not actually fun. You'll, you can figure it out for yourself. But the reason I don't like it is because it doesn't fit the idea of God that I like. Like there's a certain idea I have about God that I like him to fit into. And this story doesn't fit that narrative. So we'll read it together in Genesis 39. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. If you've got a phone, you can do that or you can just listen to me talk. Genesis 39.1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So things are off to a great start. Uh, Joseph uh, has just been sold into slavery by his brothers. His uh, dad thinks that he's dead, and he's just been bought by a guy who is like 
the executioner of the president of Egypt. So it's pretty awesome, okay? And it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, if you haven't gathered this already, I'm sort of a sarcastic person, and I believe that the scripture gives me permission to be sarcastic because it literally says, the Lord was with Joseph. Mind you, Joseph has just been sold into slavery. His father thinks he's dead, and the author has the audacity to say that the Lord is with Joseph. And now, I, I don't know about you, but like this is contrary to my idea that I have of God. Like, when I think about God, I think that, like, things go good, he's with you. Things go bad, he's not with you. And here we have, Joseph is a slave, and yet God is with him. And this is the very reason why so many people leave Christianity, because it doesn't fit their idea of God. They literally cannot come, many of you have been there, like myself, cannot reconcile this idea that God can be with us, and bad things can still happen and yet in this story of Joseph, and really throughout the Bible, we read people facing extraordinary difficulties, and yet somehow God is still with them in it and through it. Joseph is enslaved and yet seems unfazed despite things not going his way. And because God is so with him, as we read over the next few verses that I'm going to paraphrase, we find out that Potiphar begins to trust him. And Potiphar trusts him so much that he puts him in charge of all sorts of things in his house. And he becomes kind of like the chief person in his house in charge of everything. And as a result, Potiphar's house is blessed. And yet Joseph's still a slave. And yet somehow God is still with him. And it's hard for me to reconcile both of those, which leads me to a question. How would your outlook on life change if you believed God was with you, even when things aren't good? I mean, seriously, think about it. How would your outlook on life change if you actually believed God was with you even when things weren't good? Now, it's not going to change your circumstances, but it might just bring you peace in the midst of it. Now, usually I'm a pretty calm person, but every once in a while, I, I can get stressed out if things don't go right. Like, I, I like things to, like, work a certain way, and if they don't work a certain way, then I get stressed out. My dad is, like, He's like a real Christian, so when things don't go his way, he like prays. Like he's the kind of person like when an ambulance goes by, <laughs> this is actually really lame. Every <laughs> this is really lame. Every time an ambulance go by, I go, must have taken another girl's breath away. That's what I say. My dad literally goes, God, would you just be with? Like that's how much of a Christian my dad is. Okay, now. He prays, he's ever thoughtful of God, I'm not him. Like when I build Ikea furniture, like I, the last thing I think about is God, my dad prays before he starts building Ikea furniture, okay? That's the kind of man that he is. I'm just trying to separate what a real Christian's like compared to me, okay? Um, let's get back to the notes, Sean. Okay, so one time my wife and I are uh, on our way home from a Dodgers game. It was game one of the World Series and we had just won, whatever, okay? And... On the freeway, we're like in downtown LA area near Dodger Stadium. As we're going, we get on the freeway and all of a sudden the like dashboard lights up like the 4th of July, which if you don't know, is like not a good sign, okay? The lights aren't all supposed to be on at once. And so all the lights are flashing and I begin that like freak out kind of stressed moment. My wife's just like, is there anything I can do? And I'm like, no, there's nothing you can do. Like, I don't know what to do. And then like smoke is starting to like come out of the engine in front of us. So I'm doing one of those like sketchy, like going through all five lanes because of course I was in the carpool lane. So I'm like trying to get off the freeway towards like a gas station, but we're also in downtown LA and I think anything below Devonshire is dangerous. So this is like even worse than that. So 
We get off of the freeway, we pull into the gas station, and I'm like freaking out, like I said, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not in a great place. So we get there and we pull up, and there's like heaps of smoke coming out of the car now. It's like a, a vape shop is inside my car engine, and it's like coming out. And so we're there, and we get in my, and I'm like, my first instinct is to tell Chloe to stay in the car, but then I'm like, no, get out of the car, because if the car's on fire, that would be sad. So I was just like, get out of the car, but stay nearby, but far enough away that if it explodes. So I like pull the hatch thing after like 10 seconds of trying to figure out where the hatch thing is, because I'm like not a macho man. So as you already knew that though. So I like pull the hatch thing, and I like come over, and I'm just like staring at the engine, and I'm like, and there's like smoke like spewing out of it and stuff, and I'm like, cool. And I am not kidding you. If you don't believe me, I will legitimately show you a picture of this later. There is a homeless man with a dragon on his shoulder, not a real dragon, of course, but it was like a plastic dragon, walks up to me and says, you look confused. <laughs> now, I don't want to like, I don't need to describe to you what a low moment in life is like, but if a high homeless man with a dragon on his shoulder comes up to you, like you're in a bad place. So, and I'm desperate, so I'm like, I'm describing the situation, I'm like, yeah, 4th of July, not Katy Perry, like, the dash. And so he's like, he literally interrupts me, and I'm not kidding you, I'm not kidding you. He goes, I am King David, I will fix your car, I am one of Jesus' angels, okay? I, I wish I was joking, but I actually have like a 50-second video with this guy afterwards, it's, yeah. And, because it was just, I just needed to remember it afterwards. So... He like says that and I'm like, I literally have no options. It's 11 o'clock, we're on the way home from the Dodgers game, I'm stressed out and everything. And he's there and I need King David, so here he is. He's like fixing the car and he's like pouring water on it and it just doesn't seem right, but it stops. And he fixes the car so that we can get home. I am not kidding you, thank you King David, okay? <laughs> now, here I am, this is literally one of many examples in my life and I'm sure if you thought about it, maybe it wasn't as funny in the moment, but like you can think of many examples in your life where the farthest thing from your mind was God. And I am not gonna go out on a limb and say that God was in the form of King David with a dragon on his thing, his high, homeless man in LA. But you know what old people say, the Lord works in mysterious ways, okay? <laughs> but there have been many times, more than not, where I have forgotten that God is with me, especially when things don't go my way. And I just wonder, when we go back to that question, what would your life look like if you actually believed God was with you even when things weren't going right? When we get back to the story of Joseph, we're about to arrive to the centerpiece in this 39th chapter. We start in verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. We've got a modern-day Chris Hemsworth in this story, Okay. And Potiphar's wife is into it in a major way, okay? And it's kind of like a soap opera a little bit, if we're being honest. Now, it's interesting to note that scholars actually, like, when she says, come to bed with me, it wasn't like, hey, you're cute, like, what's up? She's, like, actually his master in this situation. So this was not like a, hey, I like you, like, what's up? This was literally an order, like, no, you're going to do this. And so Joseph is stuck with the situation where he's like, what do I do? Do I defy my boss's orders? Because I'm technically like, yeah, she's my master, but it's Potiphar and then her. Or do I just go along with what she's saying and put my whole life at risk? So many of you know how the story goes, but I'm going to read it anyway. It says, but he refused. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. 
No one is greater in this house than I am, and my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, Joseph does something so incredible here, and I don't want you to miss it because it's a very powerful technique. He literally rehearses his life story in front of her as his response. Like, she's like, hey, come and do this. And he's like, wait, hold on. And he out loud to her says, no, because this is how I want my life to look like. He's like, well, if I do that, all of this saying it to her out loud in front of her, she says, hey, come sin, literally. And he's like, well, hold on. If I do that, then it's going to lead to this. And if it leads to this, then that's going to happen. And I really don't want that to happen. So because I don't want that to happen, I definitely don't want to offend your husband. And even more than that, I don't want to go against God. So yeah, uh, no, no thanks. In the following verses, Potiphar's wife asks him every day we read to come to bed with him over and over and over. And he continues to refuse until one day when he's in the house doing something that he would have normally done in that day. He gets to a room where she was apparently. And she goes towards him and he realizes what she's about to try to do. And so he starts to run. And as he's going to run, she pulls the back of his robe and it says that his cloak was left there. Now, it would be foolish for us to assume that right then, in that moment, that Joseph decided what he wanted his life to look like. No. He chose long before that moment what he wanted his life to look like. Uh, I love the Olympics. And in 2008, I, I watched them like very religiously, like all the way until late in the night. And in 2008, Michael Phelps, I mean, I'd say he was in the prime of his career, but his career just kind of kept going, honestly. Um, it was the fourth event that he was in, and he was doing the 200-meter butterfly swim. And he literally won the gold medal, and he broke a world record in the process as well. And I remember just being, like, so impressed. Like, here he is on the grandest stage. Like, he did, had the best performance I've ever seen him have. Breaks a world record, gets a gold medal. And that wasn't even the most impressive thing to me. Because what I found out afterwards, a few minutes afterwards in an interview that he does post-game, basically... He says, yeah, as soon as I hit the water, my goggles filled with water, and I had to swim the race with my eyes shut. Now, I don't know if you remember being a little kid in the pool with water in your goggles, but like you thought you were going to die in that moment. You suck, because Michael Phelps broke a world record in that moment, okay? And I was like so impressed with this, but it was even more than that. I got impressed the second time, because then he does an interview with his coach and him, where he says... Yeah, for the last few years, every day at practice, we would practice swimming with my eyes shut with water in my goggles over and over again because we wanted to be ready just in case what could happen, what actually happens a lot of times when they get in the pool is their goggles come off a little bit, they get water in, and they have to literally swim with their eyes shut. Michael Phelps did this for three years. There was no story. He wasn't tweeting about it. He wasn't getting any likes for it. For three years of training, he just literally got in the pool and swam with his eyes shut. And we get to a story like Joseph's, and we think that in the moment he's going to prepare, and we're just like, wait, how does it, this happen? He just gets there, and all of a sudden everything's going to work. And we think like, oh, wow, here he is. Look at Joseph. He's amazing. And it's because we think that something like spiritual integrity is like Amazon Prime, but spiritual integrity isn't like Amazon Prime. It takes more than two days. And this is the problem with us. We look at the big moments in other people's lives and we completely ignore all of the small moments that led them there. And we do the same thing when we read the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. We just assume that he drank like a Red Bull that morning and he was ready to go on a run, 
But no, he chose the life that he wanted long before he found himself in that moment. And I think even more than he decided who he was, he decided whose he was. And that's the question that it leads me to for all of us in this room. Who do you want to become? What do you want your life to look like? It's time to start deciding. Because spiritual integrity isn't like Amazon Prime. It takes more than two days. It doesn't show up when you're in a situation like Joseph found himself in. It doesn't show up when you get in that Olympic pool. It doesn't show up in that moment. And I want you, like, when I ask that question, who do you want to become, I'm not asking what career you want to have or what job you want to have. I think it's so easy in our age demographic to be like, who do I want to become? And we start inserting all these jobs that we want. I, th there's a time to talk about that. This is not that time. I don't want to say that I don't care about what you want to become when it comes to your job, but like, who do you want to become? What do you want to be true about you in every situation in life, regardless of where you find yourself? The next time you find yourself in a dilemma or a problem or a temptation, will you do what Joseph did and remind yourself? Will you rehearse your story out loud? I don't want to do that because I want this to be true, so I'm going to do this. The next time you find yourself with an opportunity to cheat on a test or steal money from the company, the next time you're alone and you can watch something inappropriate, the next time you're alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you can do whatever you want, the next time you know that the truth is going to get you in trouble. The truth is with most of these things, and you know that this is true, is that you can get away with most things in life. Joseph literally could have gotten away with sleeping with Potiphar's wife. He probably could have. But he didn't care just about what other people thought. He cared about what God thought about him too. So don't be shocked the next time sin comes. It might literally come when you walk outside these doors. Later tonight, in this week ahead, start setting up guardrails right now for the kind of person that you want to be. And I hope, like Joseph, you will choose to run with integrity. But again, you have to pre-decide to be that kind of person. You have to pre-decide to be the kind of person you want to be. So back to our story. Homeboy Joseph literally runs out of the house with his integrity intact, but unfortunately Potiphar's wife wasn't done. She tries to stir up some drama, so she makes up a story to her servants and says, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And then she waits until Potiphar, her husband, comes home, a.k.a. the executioner, a.k.a. the guy who literally kills people for the president of Japan. Japan. <laughs> I really want to go to Japan on a vacation, so. Egypt, whatever. It, that's, that's the message version. Um, this is what happens. All right, just breathe, Sean. Just breathe. Okay. So a guy that really hates people comes home. And she tells him what happened, at least her version of it, and he gets furious. And so what he does is he throws Joseph into prison. Now, it's interesting, just like this is like a step back from the story as we go to it on the side. Like, he very well could have killed Joseph in that moment. Scholars say that he had every right to do that based on the society that they were in at that time. But some people suggest like, well, maybe they didn't fully believe Potiphar's wife. So because he didn't fully believe Potiphar's wife, maybe he just kind of threw him in prison. But you have to think for a second, everybody in Potiphar's home, which there would have been several people, slaves, servants, whatever, they would have known that Potiphar could have literally killed Joseph. 
And it leads me to a question that I have for us. Joseph's obedience to God almost cost him his life. What will obedience to God cost you? I remember sitting in my mentor's office, one of my mentors growing up, uh, Pastor Phil's office, and it was the first day of our mentoring meeting, and I'm thinking he's going to ask me, like, what's your favorite color, and, like, what's your favorite Bible verse and stuff, and literally we sit down, and if you knew Pastor Phil or you know him, he's, like, very serious, and it's actually one of my favorite things about him, and he literally said, Sean, this is, like, first thing, I'm I'm expecting to say, okay, favorite color, violet, like, and he's like, Sean, you've got to consider the cost of following Jesus. It's going to cost you something, but it's worth everything. And my question for you tonight is, what might obedience cost you? Maybe it's a friendship or a romantic relationship. Maybe it's going to cost you something that's become an addiction. Maybe it's going to cost you your pride or even the feeling of control you've held on to so tightly. You see, when we look through the Bible, we see over and over again the cost of obedience. But we also see over and over again the presence of God. Joseph's obedience put him in prison and God was with him. Abraham's obedience made him leave the comfort of his home and travel somewhere unknown, and God was with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's obedience landed them in a fiery furnace, and God was with them. Daniel's obedience put him in a lion's den, and God was with him. Mary's obedience left her misunderstood and pregnant with the Son of God, and God was with her. Obedience for each and every one of these men and women cost them something. My question for you is, what will obedience cost you? And I think back to what Pastor Phil said to me that day, it will be worth everything. After talking about obedience and running with integrity, there can be a temptation among Christians to start looking at obedience as if it's something we need to do in order to pay back God. Like it's this loan payment plan, like we're on a credit card company and we have to pay him interest. So obedience is like the interest that we pay back to God. Like, okay, I did this thing for you, cool, that was a little bit back for Jesus. But I just want you to know and remember God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to this earth to die on a cross for your sins. He paid the price in full, period. There's no payment plan. There's no loan set up. There's no credit card company. The price has been paid through Jesus. Obedience is literally our way of saying thank you. And I think also experiencing the full life that God has for us right here and right now. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I can assure you that following Jesus will cost you something, but I'm reminded of Pastor Phil's words that it will be worth everything. And I think perhaps in our obedience, we will begin to find the life that God actually intended for us. We conclude the chapter with Joseph being sent to prison and again being told that God is with him. And quickly as he's in prison, Joseph's put in charge of everything. We read in verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I can only imagine how Joseph feels as we leave him in the middle of this story tonight. Like I said, we're literally in the middle of a story. We're not at the beginning, we're not at the end, we're just in the middle right now. And if you're like me, this seems kind of like a nightmare. He's been sold into slavery by his brothers who hate him. His father thinks he's dead. He's a slave in a house. He 
doesn't commit a crime, but they say he commits a crime, and so he's thrown into prison, and that's where he finds himself. Last week at the end of SYA, after Ruby's message during worship, I wrote down this little note that was like, ah, it like hit me in the middle of worship. And I wrote it down in my notes app. It said, even if God never did another thing for me, would I still believe he was with me? And I'm like sitting there during worship, like not confidently answering that question. Because many of us have this idea of God that he's like a genie. I do this, you do that. And when the equation doesn't add up, Where are you, God? Are you with me? Are you still watching? And yet through the story of Joseph, we find a man that despite everything he endures is ever thoughtful of the presence of God. And I just wonder what would happen for you and me if we actually believed that God was with us all the time too. I told you at the beginning of this, uh, I'm getting ready to run a marathon in 44 days. And this last week's been kind of like stressful for me because I've actually had a ton of pain in my left foot. So I haven't run in a week. And I had to like literally practice this like thoughtfulness of God, you're with me. And so I took like five days off. This, I told you I like running, sorry, very lame. But I took five days off of running and I ran last night three miles and I was in pretty good amount of pain the whole time. So I got up this morning, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try to run again. And I ran for like 45 seconds and I couldn't run. So I called my wife and I was like, hey, I'm gonna go to the doctor just to see if there's anything that I can do with my foot. And I found myself feeling that feeling that I felt when I was like swerving through those five lanes of traffic, of stress and feeling like, God, are you with me? And I kind of like joking, but I was also kind of serious, said to my wife when I was leaving our house, I was like, God is with me and like, I don't know, it just like brought this peace over me. And I wonder for you guys, the next time you find yourself in a hard situation, the next time something doesn't go the way that you want it to go, this next time you find yourself in the middle of temptation, I just wonder what would happen if you said, God, you're with me right now. I think a lot of things in our lives would change and I think a lot of things in our world would change too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. My favorite thing about you is your faithfulness. And I'm so reminded as I think through my life over and over again, how many times you've been faithful to me, God. And I know you've been faithful to every single one of these people in this room because they're here, God. But I know that they come here at different feelings of faithfulness towards you, God. Some people feel like you're far away. Some people feel like you're close by, God. And I just pray right now wherever we find ourselves right now, right now, right now, that we would feel your presence with us. God, in the next time that we're tempted, the next time we find ourselves in a difficult situation, God, I pray even then, we would know that you are with us too. And that this thoughtfulness of you would transcend the way that we live and the way that we treat others and the lives that we live, God. Would you give us the courage to have that thought, even in hard moments? I pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.com.